All right, let's turn our Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Let's so continue on in the Gospel of Mark. And we're seeing the dramatic uh, details of when Jesus went to the cross. <clears throat> and through all of this, we see a, a, a truth coming out, and, and it'll specifically come out today, is that we see the power of Jesus through all of this, and we see the weakness of the human beings. We see in His disciples weakness, confusion, uh, wrong actions. Yet in Jesus, we see uh, power and strength and complete wisdom of how to conduct Himself in the situation. And we're going to see that here as He's arrested we're going to see the, a statement, the statements and the presentation of His power. And then we're going to see the weakness of humans in two of the disciples. One being most likely Mark, the author himself. And in Peter then, where we see a weak display of them and that their power is ineffective and fails, yet it's the power of Christ that triumphs in this situation. All right, let's read through the verses, starting with verse 51. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young, man, young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to, and to uh, beat him and to say to him, Prophesy! And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again, and a little later those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. 
Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. The second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. So as these, this situation plays out, the disciples are very overwhelmed. Uh, they are scattered. They are scrambling. They're trying to deal with it. And when it all plays out to this point, and Peter looks back and thinks about how all this played out, he breaks down and he cries. He weeps. He's weak. He's overwhelmed. And it's the, uh, this truth that this situation would not be dealt with through human power. Human power was not enough. But this situation was dealt with through the power of Christ. We see His power come out, shine brightly here. And it, it climaxes in His, at this point in the arrest, it climaxes in His declaration to the high priest and says, I am the Christ and hereafter you will see uh, me sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. A confident statement of power and victory from the lips of the Lord Jesus. Those priests didn't understand the significance of what he stated, but he stated to them the very truth that would come to be in the days ahead and still remain in the future. Words of power from the Lord Jesus, works of weakness from his disciples. That's what we have here. That's the contrast. And it's the same contrast we have today. It's the same contrast that is true of our lives. Living for God will not be accomplished by our own human power. Our power is not strong enough to deal with the challenges of life. To deal with our own weaknesses. We're too weak. We're, we're just not up to it. To deal with the challenges of sin in the world, we're not up to it. We'll be like this young man. We'll talk about who that man is. Peter, they followed, but eventually they fled and they ran in failure. That's what human strength will accomplish. What we've got to have and what is needed what will bring victory is the power of Christ. What we need in our lives is the power of Christ who said, I am the Christ and, I, and hereafter you will see me sitting at the right hand of the power. That's the power we need in our life. So let's take a look at these two contrasts. Verse 51 and 52, we have this young man fleeing. It's, a, it's somewhat of a strange reference in Scripture. It's the only time it's mentioned. Only in this Gospel of Mark is this young man mentioned. And it's kind of a strange uh, record uh, that uh, occurs here. But I think it fits this, this, the message that's being communicated here. Plus, I think, and it's what's thought, is that the reason this is mentioned in Mark is because the young man was Mark. That he was the young man. This also tells us that there were other people there on this night. I think this is an evidence that there were other people there at the Last Supper, other disciples besides the twelve. 
that they were they that the believers in, in Jerusalem met with them and that then some followed them out to the garden. Mark was one of them, if it was Mark. He was a young man at this time. We find out later he lived in Jerusalem. The church, the Jerusalem church, met in his house, the house of his parents. He grew up with the church meeting in his house as a young man. He was a believer as a young man. And at this night then, uh, when Jesus goes out to the garden to pray, this young man follows them out from a distance. He's falling out watching them. And it's just a, you know, a, an account of this curiosity of this young man as a young believer. And he's watching them follow him in the distance. Well, he, then he sees them. He sees the crowd, the soldiers come and arrest Jesus. He witnesses that. And he follows then the soldiers at a distance. At some point, the soldiers see him, spot him, grab a hold of him, and he twists away from them and leaves his robe with them and flees away without his robe. I think he had undergarments on. That's typically what the situation is. When the Bible says naked, it's talking about having your undergarments on. Because you go out with, that, your under, with your undergarments, you're naked. Okay, you're naked. We need to kind of have that biblical understanding with our culture today. My goodness. They go outside dressed in nothing more than your underwear and they think they're dressed. You're naked you got your undergarments on. That's what's happening here. Got your undergarment on. You have a, you know, it's like late at night. You might just throw on a robe. You got on lighter clothing. He was out at night. Didn't think he was going to run into anybody. He had this robe just thrown around. They grab it. He twists away. And then he's getting away. If he has to leave his clothes, he's going to leave his clothes to get away. And for whatever reason, Mark wanted to record that. Because it happened to him. Think about it. If the young man's alone, who else would know about it? So it's obviously this was John Mark. And this is what happened to him. He throws it in. And it's a part of the story here. It's a part of the weakness of human power. Why is Mark following them? He's trying to find out some way to help Jesus. He's trying to do something about the situation to help. Jesus, the Messiah, had just gotten arrested He's in danger. Mark's following saying, how can I do, how can I help? How can I do something about this? They're all, their mentality is, how can we rescue Jesus? Jesus is arrested. How can we free him? How can we help Jesus? Peter follows at a distance. Same way. And then winds up going into the courtyard, sneaks in, tries to remain anonymous, and he hangs around. Why? He's trying to find a way to help Jesus. Jesus needs help. Do you see the irony here? Do you see the wrong perspective here? The disciples think, we've got to help Jesus. Jesus is trapped. Jesus can't get out. We've got to help Jesus. And they needed the proper perspective is that they couldn't help Jesus. They did not have the power. They didn't have the power to help themselves. Jesus had all the power he needed and he was in complete control. They needed Jesus' help. Jesus didn't need their help. That's the point here that's coming out. And so John Mark and Peter are an example of how they tried to follow along, hang around, and they tried to help Jesus, but they had no help to give. 
because they were weak. And it's a lesson of the failure of human strength, but then in the midst of it, it's a proclamation of the power of Christ and how He uh, triumphed over this in the end. And we need to have that understanding is that God's kingdom in our day, God's kingdom in our life, and our lives living, being lived for Jesus is not going to be accomplished by our strengths, by our knowledge, our know-how, our wisdom, our insights. That doesn't accomplish anything. In fact, it makes mistakes. But what we need is the power of Christ. That's how the works of God are going to get accomplished through our lives today. John Mark failed. He's sneaking around, trying to figure out how he could do help. They grabbed him. He had to flee, run away. He couldn't help. He had no strength to help. Peter hangs around and he's trying to think, what can I do? I believe Peter's trying to scheme. How can I rescue Jesus here? I'm looking for an opportunity. I could, I could maybe try to overpower the soldiers and, and we could run away into the night. I believe that's what Peter's doing. And Peter fails. He fails. He's trying to remain hidden. He thinks he's got to stay undercover. And then a servant girl comes up to him. Starts blowing his cover. Aren't you one of them? Aren't you one of uh, followers of him? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not a follower. I don't know what you're talking about. Go away. Go away. Quit bothering me. You know, it's blowing his cover. He's, it's blowing his plan. He's got to help Jesus. So he's got to stay, you know, in his wisdom, I've got to, I've got to lie here. I've got to stay uh, undercover because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rescue Jesus. Comes back the second time. Aren't you one of them? Denies him the second time. Third time, some of the men come. We know you're one of them. You, you talk like a Galilean. You're one of them. He begins to curse and swear. I do not know that man. That's what humans, that's what Peter's wisdom accomplished. A denial of Jesus. It accomplished nothing except sin. It was a sin for him to do that. It accomplished nothing. That's the, the human weakness that is ours. It accomplishes nothing. Uh, and Peter finally admitted it and uh, wept and left at some point. We're not told when he left. At some point he cowers away, weeping because he can't do anything about it. But Jesus has all power in this. And we need to remember that, because when you read this and look at it, it looks like Jesus uh, is weak. Jesus was arrested without a fight. What's up with that? What? Jesus has all power. Why didn't he fight? Well, Jesus said that before he said, because I don't want to fight. I don't want to resist. I am going to the cross because I know I need to. I need to sacrifice myself in this situation and die for the sins of the world. And so Jesus didn't fight, even though he could have. He said, I could call 12 legions of angels and I could wipe all these out. There'd be no contest, but I'm choosing to die. I'm choosing to sacrifice. And really it takes more strength to do that. It takes more strength to not fight when you can and you could win when you're doing so to sacrifice yourself for somebody else. And so even in this 
allowing himself to be arrested, there's a display of strength from Jesus, of not fighting. Now later, he will fight. He's going to come riding a red white horse with a sword, and he's going to fight. But there's a time for fighting when God has carried out all his other works. And God's the one that's going to determine that. But Jesus appears to be weak, but he's not. He, he allows himself to be arrested. Then when he's interrogated, he says nothing. He does not protest. He doesn't defend himself. He looks weak, but he's not weak. He is sacrificing himself. Really, he's displaying strength or remaining silent. If, you, if you're arrested and um, you are accused falsely of things that you never did, and you're being threatened to be punished severely, put in prison for a long time, wouldn't you speak up? Wouldn't you protest? Jesus demonstrated his strength to restrain himself for the sake of us. That was power. And then he's asked directly, are you the Christ? He says, I am. Before we get into that, let me just cover all of this, that they have false witnesses and they try to uh, accuse him of destroying the temple, trying to get him on a charge of you know, vandalism or threat. Uh, probably, a, you know, we, we could classify it as a terroristic threat. He's going to blow up the temple. And he says he's going to build again in three days. They were going to try to get him on that even though Jesus didn't say that. Notice how they twisted around. It was false accusations. This is recorded in John. In Jesus' first coming to the temple, He came, and when He cleaned out the temple, He said, destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And He was talking about His body. Of course, they took it as that temple. And that's the false accusation. They say he said he would destroy this temple. Um, but he was talking about his body. He was already predicting his death and resurrection. So that was part of the false accusation they made against him, that he was going to destroy the temple. Uh, but that charge, they couldn't get enough to say. They had to have three witnesses to say the same thing, and they couldn't come up with that. So the high priest just cuts to the chase and just directly... Challenge Jesus, tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Like that's a crime to be the Messiah. Apparently it was to the priests, and it was because it was a crime against their own law. They didn't want competition running the temple. They wanted to run it, and they knew the temple, the temple did belong to God. It belonged to the Messiah. They didn't want that competition. And so to them, it was a... Uh, it was a uh, blasphemy to claim to be the Messiah. And so he challenges him, are you the Christ, the Messiah? And Jesus then offers these statements of strength and power. I am. Now think about what that means. All that's packed in that word, that's the name of God. That's the name of Yahweh. The literal translation was, I am who I am. That's what he told Moses. This is my name. I am who I am. That's what Jesus said. I am. And he's not only saying I'm the Messiah. In those words, he's saying I am God. Because that's what he was. He was the Son of God. God in the flesh. God is a human being. That's who the Messiah was. And that's who Jesus was. And there was no more powerful person who has ever walked the earth. So Jesus, I imagine, speaks these words in tremendous power. It would have been neat to be there to see that. 
to hear it. We'll hear his words one day. He spoke these in power. I am. And hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power. There it is. Power of God is coming out in this situation through Christ, who is God. He refers to God as the power, sitting on the throne of the universe. And the Son, the the, uh, Messiah, is sitting at His right hand. And that is how the Old Testament presents the Messiah. He is the Son of God, Psalm 2. At the right hand of the power, Daniel chapter, it's either 7 or 9. And it presents the Messiah coming and giving a kingdom and sitting down at the right hand of the Father. That's how the Messiah is presented in the Old Testament. And Jesus here is powerfully proclaiming to be the Messiah that's presented in the Old Testament. He's sitting at the right hand of the power over the universe, over everything. That is a a picture of power. Again, while he's chained up. While he's not protesting their false accusations, yet he is the ruler of the universe. That's the true picture here. That's the power of Christ who was overcoming this situation where he was going to die for our sins. And the disciples under weakness don't understand that. And then he says, and coming with the clouds of heaven. That's a reference to his second coming. He will come with the clouds. He went out through a cloud. It indicates there will be clouds uh, when He comes. And He will come through the cloud like as a burst, burst through it to come upon the earth. That's how God's going to do it. That's why it always says He comes with clouds. Where He kind of hides His glory, His bright, shining glory, and He comes through and then it's a great dramatic display. And He says, you're going to see that. Now, notice he tells these priests, you're going to see me sitting at the right of the power and then coming on the clouds of heaven. There's some debate uh, uh, and discussion about when this was fulfilled. Some think that the first half was fulfilled. Well, no, back up. Some think the whole thing was fulfilled in A.D. 70 when Jesus, came, when Jesus destroyed Jerusalem. I don't believe that is how we ought to interpret this. Because there's no indication, there's no reference in the Bible that Jesus had a coming back to Jerusalem to destroy it. God could do that from heaven. He did that from heaven. He allowed the Roman army to destroy it. It was not a return of Jesus. But there are some who say that was a second coming of Jesus. The only problem is, then, that takes away the future coming of Jesus. Because the Bible says He's going to come the second time at the end. So, uh, there would have to be a third coming. That doesn't fit. So there was not a second coming at AD 70. I don't believe there are some Christians, though, who do take it this way in these words to point that. So when was this fulfilled? He said, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power. I think it likely was fulfilled, uh, initial fulfillment at least, at the stoning of Stephen. Because you remember when Stephen died, he said, I look, he said he looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God on his throne. Those priests, these same priests, were the ones who stoned Stephen. And it's perhaps possible, from the words of Jesus here, is that those priests were allowed to see Jesus too. That's my speculation, but that's likely a fulfillment here. If it wasn't fulfilled then, then it will be fulfilled in the end, that in their 
in the future when Jesus comes back that these same priests who condemned him to death will see him sitting on his throne. Notice the, what word shall we give to it? The irony perhaps is part of it, but the, uh, the, uh, the change of circumstance here. At this time, these priests are standing over Jesus as his judge. And they are sentencing him to death. And they have that power. And they carry it out through the Romans. They act as his judge to bring about his physical death. But in the end, Jesus is going to return and they're going to be before Jesus and he's going to be their judge. Standing at the right hand of God. Jesus is going to be sitting at the right hand of God on his throne judging them. His death lasted only three days. He resurrected great power. Their death is going to last forever. They're going to die eternally in hell. And here's another aspect. The power of Christ is greater than the power of man in this story. The priests are trying to push their power. And it accomplished something because God allowed it to. Only because God allowed it to. But it was far inferior to the power of Christ that will last forever over them. So all this is just chock full of the power of Christ here in His um, declaration of being the Messiah and uh, that He will come in the end in great victory. And this is a part of what Jesus did. The Hebrews refers to this, that Jesus endured the suffering of the cross by looking uh, to the reward in the future. And that's what He's taught. That's what He's doing here. He's looking forward to saying, in the future, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be coming with clouds and I'm going to be your judge. You're sitting as my judge unjustly, but I'm coming as your judge later. It wasn't a retaliation thing. It was a power thing. Jesus is saying, I'm the real power here. And he was very confident in that. And he was offering them forgiveness even now to the end giving them an opportunity to surrender and accept Him as the Messiah. He clearly said, I am the Messiah. I think a part of it, Jesus was inviting them to believe on Him. But their hearts were darkened and stubborn and hardened in their sin. And they refused and they sentenced Him to death. And Jesus, though, is, is carrying all this out in great power. And so then it continues to play out that we've already looked at and talked about as Peter is sitting there, wringing his hands, trying to come up with a way to, to break Jesus free. Peter, uh, Jesus is in complete control of the situation. He doesn't need to be freed. He doesn't want to be freed. He wants to go to the cross. And he, he, uh, he overcomes the cross through His power, the power of Christ to sacrifice Himself, to die for sin, to overcome sin, to uh, defeat death and hell for us. This is the power that we need in our life. Our power doesn't do anything. Our power accomplishes nothing but mistakes. But the power of Christ overcomes everything. The power of Christ is exalted up above on the throne that has power over whatever may come in your life and my life. It's the power of Christ that can overcome it. And that's what we need to seek that's what we need to believe in. That's what we need to submit to. Because that's what's going to win 
in the end. That's what was played out at the cross, and that's what's going to play out in the future one day in the, in the days of the tribulation and the return of Jesus. And Jesus is going to display his power clearly to the world. And he's going to return in power and great glory. Let's pray. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Would you think about the power of Christ? Have you submitted to him? Have you repented of your sin against him and believed on him to be saved? That is what you need to do. He's extending that invitation to you today, just like he did to those priests. Will you be like those priests? Will you stubbornly push him away again? Will you really do that? Or will you open your heart and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I have sinned against you. I have been stubborn. I have been gone my own way. I have been a sinner. I want you to forgive me. Would you remember me when you come in your kingdom? Would you save me and let me live with you forever? Say that from your heart and really mean it. And Jesus will save you. He'll pour out his power in your life to forgive you and free you from your sin. And that's why he came. And that's why we need him, because we are weak. We are helpless. We can accomplish nothing. <clears throat> we need Christ and his power in our life. You need Christ in your life to help you to overcome your sin. That's the first, that's the foundation, the fundamental thing. And then he'll help you then to deal with everything else in your life. And you can't handle it without Christ. And we need to remember how powerful he is. He is God in the flesh, sitting at the, on the throne of the universe. And he's going to come back to clean up the world in the end. Believe on Him today. And let's surrender any way we need to. As we pray, you, you surrender to Him and pray to Him about whatever you need to. We praise You, Lord Jesus, and all Your power and Your greatness that You displayed when You went to the cross. You were in complete control. And You did everything right. And You paid for our sins. We're sorry for our weakness, for our sinfulness against you. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your strength. Help us to obey you and to serve you and to follow you and, and to do your will. And to trust you. Most of all, we got to trust you. You're the one that knows the answers. We don't. You know what we need to do and we don't. Help us to put our trust in you and to follow what you want us to do. For you know all the future. And you have all power over it. So help us to be your servants. Help us to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. <clears throat>